Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Lakaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us for episode 83 with Mac Pritchard. Mac has got some great perspective when it comes to doing the informational interviewing, the networking, the career seeking thing. And so you're going to learn one, how to navigate the hidden job market, two, the step by steps associated with successful informational interviews, and three, how to grow your network with generosity. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F83. Here's a quick bit about Mac. Mac is the founder and president of Pritchard Communications, a public relations agency that serves top-tier foundations, nonprofits, and purpose-driven brands across the country. He provides strategic counsel to Pritchard's clients and leads the agency's crisis communications, government relations, and business development work. He speaks regularly on social change communications to national and local groups across the country. He also publishes Mac's List, an online community where professionals find rewarding, interesting jobs and employers find the best possible candidates. Here's Mac. Mac, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Well, thank you for asking me to be on the show, Pete. Oh, well, I think we're gonna have such a great chat. And part of it's because you have just a fantastic microphone. It's great chatting with a fellow podcaster. Can you tell us maybe a little bit of the connection behind being a communications professional and your podcast, Find Your Dream Job? I've had a career as a communications professional for more than 30 years, actually, Pete, and working in in politics, government, and nonprofits. I now run my own public relations firm. I'm based in Portland, Oregon. And one of the keys to being a good communicator is relationships and networking, but it's also about sharing what you know. And I actually run two small businesses. One is Pritchard Communications, which works with nonprofits and foundations and purpose-driven brands. And the other is called maxlist.org. It's an online community that has a job board, a blog, a podcast, a book, all about job hunting and career management. And our podcast, which you mentioned a moment ago, is called Find Your Dream Job. And it's about the nuts and bolts of job hunting and career management. Mm. Well, that's fun. And so I deliberately, we had a great chat in advance. And thanks for taking the time to do that. And I like the, the diligence with it. We talked about how when it comes to, you know, our respective podcasts, there's a relationship, but it's not a perfect intersection because I try to steer a bit away from job hunting. But while I have a super job hunter, I've got to ask, is there any kind of quick, big pro tip that you just got to unleash when it comes to job hunting that people should know? Well, Pete, the heart of our business at maxlist.org is a job board, and we're very proud of it. We publish about 400 job listings a month mostly in the Pacific Northwest. But there's data out there, Pete, that shows that as many as 80% of all jobs are never advertised. They never appear on a job board. Mm. Here's the pro tip for people who are either looking for jobs or thinking about the career in the long run where they want to be in the workplace. Most people spend 100% of their time looking at job boards to find their next opportunity. I run a job board. Please come and visit it. (laughs) It's an important part of any career strategy. But you need to, if eight out of 10 jobs never appear on a job board, our challenges as job seekers or people who are thinking about our career and where we want to be in the workplace is how do we find out about those other, those eight out of 10 jobs, those 80% of jobs that never make it on a job board. And we can talk more about that. 
Some people call that the hidden job market. And there's a way you can navigate it and make it work for you. But the big pro tip here is after you look at the job boards, only spend 20 or 30% of your time doing that. Step away from the computer and get out and talk to people and network or tier or do informational interviews. And that's how you'll find the best jobs. Well, that's so good. And networking is one of your core areas of expertise. So I'd like to start there. You know, even the word networking kind of spooks some people from time to time, like, ooh, I'm not good at that. And so could you share with us maybe up front a little bit of your philosophy or worldview or perspective in terms of how you even think about the word and the concept of networking? Networking is about something that we're all good at, and that's relationships. And when you think I know when you hear the word networking, many people get chills or they think of some function room at the Holiday Inn Airport where they go and it's loud and there are people that are passing out business cards and, and that's not effective networking. Good networkers, first of all, they're generous. They help others professionally and personally and they give without an expectation of receiving anything in return. So generosity is step number one. Second, not only do they help people, but they think about where they want to be professionally and they get involved in organizations or go to events in a strategic way. They think about what they want to accomplish professionally and and where the leaders in their field hang out and they go to those places. And again, within the spirit of generosity, if they get involved in an association in their industry, they may volunteer to serve on a committee or maybe even join a board or, or simply staff a reception table at the big annual event. But by doing these things, you build relationships, you make connections, and you show people what you can do and the value that you bring. And here's why that helps you. It's because when people are thinking about hiring or promoting someone, they tend to look first to the people they know and trust or they rely on recommendations from people they trust. So when you network, and there are events that are valuable, and there are other ways like through volunteering, uh, getting involved in associations, as I mentioned. But as you do those things and make connections and build relationships with others, people will think of you when opportunities arise. And this can help you in the workplace too, and even in a small or especially a large organization where there might be opportunities within particularly big companies to get involved in committees and activities outside of perhaps your immediate department or section. Mm-hmm. And so could you share a little bit? It sounds like those seem like, you know, prudent, sensible things to do. Could you maybe bring that to life with regard to an example or story of someone you've seen just really take these principles and ideas and run with them to great success? Well, I think of people that I've met before I started my own public relations company, Pete, I worked in politics for both elected officials and in political campaigns. And particularly on the campaign side, many of the key jobs are filled by volunteers. And I happen to be in my 50s, so I've seen a whole generation of people who started out 10, 15, 20 years ago as volunteers or on campaigns. And perhaps they it was at a lower level, say a state legislative race, maybe not a congressional or a presidential campaign. But by volunteering, showing others what they could do, They learned that world. Some of them went on to run for office themselves. Others graduated to staff roles and then eventually uh, moved on to maybe paid positions with elected officials at City Hall or the governor's office or even back east in the federal government. Let me give you an example. I remember working on a gubernatorial race 
And I happened to be in my mid-30s at the time, and I took a week of vacation to help the candidate. And I got sent out on an assignment with four people in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And this was way back in the 90s. And it was so long ago, Pete, that cell phones were a novelty. And someone gave us a cell phone and said, hey, we may have to call you, but in the meantime, we need you to go out and distribute this literature door to door. So the five of us go out, and I'm with these four 20-somethings. And reflect on that group now, one of them became, and these became a state senator here in Oregon and now runs a uh, business association. Another is a prominent attorney in town who serves on several boards. A third serves on the council of a regional government. A fourth is a chief of staff or a county elected official. And I tell you this because these are people who were either volunteering like me or this was their first job, but the value to someone like me who was, and this was a form of networking by volunteering on the campaign, was I made connections with these people early in their career and we had a shared experience. Now, let me get back to the cell phone. So this was so long ago and cell phones were so novel. When the phone rang off, nobody knew how to answer it. (laughs) And it rang eight or 10 times and then it stopped. And so here were five very bright, talented people <laughs> who went on to great careers. And, and in 1994, we couldn't figure out how to answer the cell phone. Oh, that's funny. That's so funny. And now you are using all kinds of audio fanciness and producing a podcast with great quality. And so my, how the times change. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. And we're all going to fail sometimes. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like what you had to say with regard to, you see, there's a little stepping stone and then that sort of grows and grows and that ends in some pretty cool places. And so, you know, you have a philosophy or process associated with not so much letting that happen by chance, but rather conscientiously working backwards. Can you lay a little bit out for what's that approach all about? Well, it begins with knowing what your goals are and It may be that you're happy with your current employer, but you want a promotion or you do want to switch and find a new job. Whatever it is, you need to be clear about what you want. So often I talk to job seekers who are thinking about, well, should I try to move up inside my organization or should I look for a new position? And they get stuck. And I'm sure you've heard this too. We'll ask people, well, what do you want to do? And they say, well, I want to keep my options open. Mm. And the problem with that answer is, When you say, I want to keep my options open and you don't have one or two or three goals that you want to explore, you make it difficult for people to say yes to helping you. That's true. Yeah. So you may have three things on your list of opportunities you want to explore. One of them might be a a promotion inside your company. You may want to change sectors. Maybe you want to move from the nonprofit to the corporate world. Whatever it is, we're all carrying these lists around inside our heads and The process that I see people succeed with is they get clear about what that goal is or they get a short list of two or three goals. Then they write that down and they start talking to people about them. And the best way to talk to folks is through informational interviews. And these are 20 to 30 minute conversations where you request a meeting, you run the meeting and you walk into the meeting with someone who can give you insights into your goal. And you try to do three things in an informational interview, Pete. One is introduce yourself, share your story, and share your goals. And the second thing you want to do is you want to walk into that conversation in an informational interview with some specific questions. Maybe you're that person who wants to switch from the nonprofit to the corporate sector. 
And so you're trying to learn from somebody who's done that. And you ask them questions, well, what were the biggest challenges you faced? How did you overcome those? What advice would you give someone who is taking this up now, wants to make a similar switch? What kind of salaries are common for the positions that I've told you I'm interested in? What kind of objections might an employer have about someone like me who doesn't have corporate experience, who wants to make the switch? There could be an endless number of questions, but there are probably five or six that are at the top of your mind. Write them down and ask that expert who you've identified who you think can give you insights into it. The third thing you want to do in an informational interview is ask for advice about other people you could reach out to. And maybe you walk into the meeting knowing that, you know, you're meeting with Lady Mary Smith and you see that she's connected to somebody at a bank where you'd like to get in the door. And you see that through her LinkedIn profile. It's very appropriate to say, hey, I, I, I see that you know Pete over at Wells Fargo. Could I use your name in setting up a conversation with him? If you do those three things, share your story, your goals, and introduce yourself. If you ask those specific questions, and if you walk away with two or three contacts, that's a very successful informational interview. And Pete, it's not about having coffee and it's not about picking a brain. It's about walking in and knowing what you want and being in charge of the meeting and being clear about your ask. You get bonus points if you do two more things. One is you close the meeting by saying, hey, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Because each of us, Pete, walk around with, we all have so much to offer professionally and personally. And it also changes the dynamic of the meeting. It makes you more of a peer, but it's also always good to be generous. You also get huge bonus points if three or six months later when you found your job or you've gotten that promotion or you've made that switch, you reach back to that person and say, hey, thanks so much for your help. I wanted you to know I've landed here. Here's my card. Let's stay in touch. What you're doing when you have conversations like this is you're building or growing your network and you want to keep in touch with it. And you also want to be helpful to people in that network. So it's not just about taking, but it's about giving as well. Mm. I like that so much. And that specificity associated with your questions makes a world of difference. And I think I've been on both sides of the informational interview as the interviewer and the interviewee, as well as well-prepared and underprepared. So I dig that, that you're right. It's not about I'm networking because I'm supposed to be networking, as opposed to I've got some key questions that Googling alone isn't quite giving me the answers to. Yeah, Andy, it should go without saying that you never ask a question that you have gotten the answer from oh, sure. by looking at the individual's LinkedIn profile or their company website or their organization's website. You're there because there's a problem they can help you solve. But also remember, you can be helpful to these the people that you're reaching out to as well, because again, each of us has so much to offer. So I particularly like that key question you asked is like, I noticed you're connected to so-and-so. Is it okay if I use your name as I reach out to them? Because in a way, it's easier to say yes to that than it is to say yes to, could you please you know, take the time to craft an introductory email between the two of us? And that might get a better result, but I think the trade-off is it's more likely that they'll say, oh, you know, or they'll just sort of forget and the whole blue of stuff. So I think that's a cool question in that it's so easy to say yes to. And to that point, I'd love to get your take on, are there any key ways that you make the upfront ask in order to have that informational interview in a way that's easy to say yes to and likely to get you a yes? That's a great question. What I've seen work most effectively for people and certainly my own career is having a specific request. And 
let's walk through it. You've identified somebody you want to meet. You've gotten her name and email address from a colleague who said you really need to talk to Jane. She knows all about the sector you want to move into. So the subject line is, it could be as simple as request for an informational interview slash referred by Harry Smith. And the email should be brief. It should say, hey, Jane, I'm following up with the suggestion of Harry Smith. I'm currently exploring opportunities in moving from the nonprofit to the corporate sector. Harry thought you would be a good source. One of my goals is to explore opportunities in working in public relations and banking. Harry thought you would be a good source of information about that field. Would you have 20 to 30 minutes to meet with me to discuss the field and other people I might reach out to? I'm available, attach, or I'm available on these dates and times, and you can list several specific dates or times. Some people have online calendars that you can actually to, mm-hmm. but make it specific, be clear about what you want, set a time limit, and then say, I look forward to hearing from you. It's also appropriate to attach your resume just to give people a sense of your background. But if you're clear in the subject line and in the content that what you're requesting is an informational interview in your message, you should be clear about the time limits you have in mind, 20 to 30 minutes. Mention who's referred you. That gives you additional credibility. And give a glimpse of what the questions are that you might ask. That's a very specific, easy thing to say yes to, especially if you provide possible dates and times. So it's very different from the email, and I sent these out early in my career too, that many of us get, which is, can we get together for coffee or can I pick your brain? And the challenge with an email like that, Pete, and it's well-intentioned, is the receiver doesn't know how much time you want, Uh what exact agenda the meeting is, when it might take place. And because of that lack of specificity, it's easier perhaps to ignore it than to say yes. But if you're clear about what you want and the purpose of the meeting and the time involved, again, and if you make it easy for people to say yes, you're much, much more likely to get an answer, a response, and a meeting, and to start building a relationship with somebody who could be a valuable part of your network. Oh, thank you. And I really like just how thoughtful you were with each of the pieces of that communication and the implications on the recipient of that communication. So I guess it figures, yeah, communications expert. So I'd like to maybe zoom out or broaden the focus of this a bit in terms of what are some other maybe frequently arising mistakes that you see in communications? I'm thinking mostly email, because that's where lots of things unfold that should just be sort of cut out, whether you're emailing someone internally or someone that you don't know or someone that you're collaborating with sort of out in other partner organizations. I have a feeling you've got some extra wisdom to share and the do's and don'ts of smart emails. Well, I think it's brevity is always best. And if you can keep your messages to five to 10 lines, I think you're much more likely to get a response Second, having a spot-on subject line about what you're writing about makes it easier for people to pay attention and to open it. I'm a big fan of writing subject lines that have very short headlines but give you a clue about what the request is because then I think people, if they know what the ask is, they're much more likely to open it and, and getting them to open it can be a big step forward because many of us have 50, 75, 100 emails in our inbox. So a subject line that says free for a meeting on Mondays or Fridays, September 2nd to discuss 
upcoming communications plan with a question mark. There's a deadline there, a sense of urgency, but it's a polite one. And people know what they're going to get when they open the message. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. So a clear and compelling subject line is a good do. What else? I think having a complete email signature in your message is always valuable. And it should include not only your name and title and your company name, but the website, as well as your phone number and email address. Don't assume that people can have a reader that will allow them to see what your email address is. The advantage of that is people can actually track you down and call you if they need to, if they have questions. But they can also put that information into their database so they can reach out to you in the future after your email may be buried down you know, ten or 20,000 pieces in a trash folder. Including your social media icons is also helpful, whether it's your personal account or your office account. Because there are people who will connect with your Twitter or LinkedIn or blog or your, your website if you remind them that it's there. Uh-huh. Okay, very good. Anything else? No, I think that covers it. I think the key is to be brief and to be, as in any communication, whether it's an email, a meeting, a conversation, have a clear ask and know what you want and make it easy again for, for people to say yes. Uh-huh. And I guess I'd also like to hear a bit about the ways in which you can be generous or helpful. Because I think you mentioned when you asked that question, is there anything I can do for you? You establish yourself a little bit as a peer, but often maybe we don't feel like peers and we wonder, oh, geez, well, what can little old me offer that big, impressive vice president or whomever you're having that conversation with? So do you have any cool stories or examples you would use to share some maybe unlikely sources of value that you can offer others? Well, you never know how you can be helpful to others. I think that certainly I run a public relations company and because I also have this online community for job seekers and people managing their careers, I get a lot of requests from prominent people to help members of their family with their job search. But I would say that the best way to find out is to ask. And I think it's not only about stepping out of that role where you think, oh gosh, I don't have anything to offer because you do. You've got skills, connections, education, you're part of a community and there's so much you may be able to do. And the best way to find out is to ask. I think other specific ways people can be generous, Pete, is make yourself available for people who do want to have informational interviews or want to seek your advice about their careers or their jobs or perhaps on some other topic. Another way to do it is to get involved in your community. And this could be outside of your career. Perhaps there's some neighborhood association or sports league or community of faith, or maybe it's within your career. And if that's the case, join your professional association or your local chamber of commerce. And when you do this and you connect with others, you'll get energy and it'll make you better at what you do and increase your happiness. But it's also an opportunity to help others as well and make your community a better place. Mm. I like that. Indeed, there are many different avenues. And that's been sort of fun adventure and discovery for me as I meet with all these podcast guests, some of whom are sort of idols of mine that I've admired for years, like Susan Roan. We both interviewed yeah. her. And so it's like, oh my gosh, I read her book in high school. Yeah, you know, I read her book too. I, I, yeah, <laughs> bad boy. You know, and I met her as so she was over in episode nine talking about networking as well. And so then we had a chat and she said, oh, so what microphones do you like? I was like, 
Well, I've spent many hours researching microphones. It's like, I have indeed something of value to offer, you know, the almighty Susan Roan. And I thought that was pretty cool. Or Anshul Baghi on episode 24 was talking about Umo, his speech coaching app. And he's got just ridiculous credentials with, you know, Harvard Business School and Microsoft and Stanford and all this stuff. And so I noticed that one of his websites was slow. And I was like, hey, it looks like you got a WordPress website that's having a slow load time. I talked to this guy who just blew my mind with WordPress site load times. And he was like super appreciative. So it's pretty cool how you may be surprised what you have to offer from your own life experience or knowledge or networks or whatever that can be super helpful even to people you think are, you know, a super big deal. Yeah. And as you speak, I think of an example. I have a client for my public relations company. He was the vice president of communications for one of the 10 largest foundations in the U.S., And he's an avid photographer. We were chatting about photography. And this was two years ago. And I said, well, are you on Instagram? And because he loves taking photos. And he said, well, no, I don't know anything about Instagram. And I said, well, bring your phone out. And I helped him download the Instagram app. And he got so excited. And uh, he asked me for specific tips. And it was something that we were able to connect over. And It actually, in this case, this doesn't always happen, but it actually led to a small contract where he hired my firm to come back and do a workshop on visual media, including Instagram. But even if that hadn't happened, it was the way for me to connect with someone who was senior to me in a much more powerful position. And he was genuinely grateful for the knowledge that I shared. That's good. Thank you so much. Well, will you tell me, Mac, is there anything else you want to make sure that we cover off before we shift gears and talk about a few of your favorite things? No, I think I'm ready for the rapid fire round. Okay, let's do it. Well, could you start us by sharing a favorite quote? Well, this comes from a colleague of mine. I worked in the state capitol in Oregon for a number of years, including a stint as a speechwriter to a governor there. And this colleague had been in the building for many, many years. And he said, you know, you meet the same people on the way down as you do on the way up. And he had seen that because he'd seen... People come in as legislators, state representatives or senators who were big deals, and then they lost elections. And they came back as lobbyists, and they were practically invisible. And, mm. and so the point of the story and the quote, I think, is careers will have peaks and valleys. And so we're all going to have our valleys, and you need to stay humble and because you know we're all likely to have our reverses, and you just need to treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Agreed. How about a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? Uh, You know, Pete, I'm a big fan of that Harvard Grant study. Almost 300 Harvard College graduates who were in the class of 1938. Many of them are still alive. And the study found that the key to happiness is your relationships with others. And that in the end, many of these people had great, successful careers, wonderful titles, made a lot of money. But the happiest people weren't the ones who had the most impressive titles or the biggest net worth. They were the people who were involved in the community, had close family relationships, good friendships. And in those relationships, not your social status or your net worth or your job title, the researchers have found were the keys to happiness. Oh, yeah. That's the George Vallant Harvard men peace. And they also discovered how debilitating alcohol was to many of their lives, which is a huge bummer. Like who would have thought? Yeah. These seem so powerful and sort of invincible. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. And how about a favorite book? It's an older one, but I still enjoyed it. It's called Never Eat Alone. All right. Keith Ferrezzi. I think I'm mispronouncing that. Ferranzi. The Fonzie? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Ferrazzi, I think, is Ferrazzi, the best I've heard, but I don't know yeah. if that might be wrong, too. Uh, what do I like about the book? It is about networking, which we've been talking about on the show, but it gives you very specific suggestions about how to get the most out of a conference, about the value of giving to others, and about the importance of goal setting. And he is passionate on the subject of connections and relationships, and it's a fun book to read. Excellent. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something you use often? It's kind of a vanilla choice, but we love Google Docs. We use them at both of our companies, and it makes collaboration across our teams so much easier than products that require you to send files back and forth, like Microsoft Word or PDFs. And it just makes our teams much more effective. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite habit? Cycling to work every day and back. I have a three-mile commute each way. I happen to live in Portland, Oregon, and it's a very bicycle-friendly town. And I've been doing this for 15 years, and it takes me 25 to 30 minutes to make the trip, depending on the day. And it's a time for reflection. I get exercise, and it's just a great way to decompress. And the other thing is Portland, every now and then I just see somebody on the street, and you can't do this in a car, but on your bike you can actually stop and chat with folks. Hmm. Excellent. And what would you say is something that you share that really seems to connect or resonate with folks? It gets their heads nodding, the notepads going, or maybe among your most popular episodes. What's that sort of quote or theme that's connecting? I think in the job search space, people are always surprised to hear how few jobs make it onto job boards. And so when we tell people, yes, come to our job board, check it out. But by the way, you got to step away from the computer and get out and talk to people and build relationships and grow your network. That's surprising to many folks, but I think they get it right away as well. And I think it's the idea that has the biggest potential to help people get ahead in the workplace or get ahead in their career. Mm, excellent. And what would you say is the best way to find you if folks want to learn more and see what you're up to? Visit our website, maxlist.org. You'll find a blog there about job hunting and career management. We also have a podcast, Find Your Dream Job. It's available on Stitcher and iTunes. And we have a course, an online course that we're launching November 1st called Hack the Hidden Job Market that contains a lot of the ideas that you and I talked about in this show about networking and the importance of relationships and goal setting. Oh, very good. And could you share a final party word or call to action or challenge for those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Be clear about your goals. Know what you want. Okay, cool. Well, Mac, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you and good luck. Thank you, Pete. It's been a pleasure to be on your show. I love how Mac just takes some of the sting or discomfort out of the whole networking process and game. It's just that simple and everyone enjoys helping people or many people enjoy helping people. It's a leveraged way to make a difference. So it's cool. So one more time, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F83. And I hope to catch you next time. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.